A boy's best friend is his mother. Janet! Dr. Scott! Janet! Ah! Rocky! Oh, you're so cool, Brewster! I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? It was an asylum! And it was hell! 20 years of pure hell! Movies don't create psychos! Movies make psychos more creative! They're all gonna laugh at you! Hey, shouldn't you be folding towels somewhere, sniffing jock straps? Better give me those shoes, they're mine, give them back to me! How many times do I have to tell you Ursula Andres belongs with the transvestites, not the perverts? Oh, you heterosexuals. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. You're a bullshit artist! They're coming, they're coming! Good evening, Clarice. And welcome to Screaming Queens, the horror podcast with the queer eye view. My name is Jonathan Larkin. I'm Jonathan Butler. Stephen Moore. I'm Martin Fennessy. Tonight we decided that we would cover another classic... We will do some more obscure films, but, you know, there's a lot of classics to get through mm-hmm. as well, so, you know, bear with us. But you, I'm sure you'll love this movie. We all, I think, do. So, basically, in 1986, Michael Mann directed the movie Manhunter based on the Thomas Harrison novel from 1981 called Red Dragon. Following troubled FBI agent Will Graham, Manhunter introduced the world to Dr. Hannibal Lecter, the most famous cannibal shrink the world has ever known. Manhunter tanked at the box office, so producer Dino De Laurentiis gave away the rights he had for Lecter for free, leaving the door open for Jonathan Demme, who gave us, um, he gave us women, there's a women behind bars film that he made in the 70s. Basically, Jonathan Demme is like a, he's like a grind, he cuts his teeth on grindhouse films, which explains some parts of this Mm. film, if you ask me. I wonder if he's ever seen From Beyond, (laughs) the weird, um, fucking jizz flinging scene at the start. Of course, yeah. So it gave Jonathan Demi open. Leaving the door open for Jonathan Demi to make one of the most famous 90s thrillers come horrors ever made. Thrillers come horrors. Come horrors. <laughs> <laughs> it went on to make $272 million at the box office and is endlessly quoted by horror fans around the world. So get your Chianti and fava beans, rub some lotion on your skin, and prepare for us <laughs> to flick jizz in your face. <laughs> <laughs> and we can all smell your cunt. <laughs> We're about to delve into <laughs> Silence of the Lambs. Starling? Not yet, sir. He's past the others. The last cell. I'll be watching. You'll do fine. A killer is on the loose. Keeps them alive for three days. Then he shoots them, spins them, and dumps them. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. He's got real physical strength, cautious, precise, and he's never impulsive. He'll never stop. But in order to track him down, she'll have to match wits. I'll help you catch him, Clary. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. With the darkest of all minds. Just do your job, but never forget what he is. But he's a monster. Pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. So close to the way you're gonna catch him, do you realize that? Oh, Clarice, your problem is you need to get more fun out of life. You told me you don't spook easily. You call this easy, sir? Lester's missing hand arm. Man's a raving maniac. Who knows what he'll do? Thank you, Clary. Thank you. Sounds of the Lambs from 1991, starring 
Jodie Foster as Clarice Starling and what's his name? Anthony, Anthony Hopkins. Say Anthony Hopkins as Dr. Hannibal Lecter, amongst other fabulous people in the cast, including the gorgeous Chris Isaac. Mm-hmm. Oh. I didn't realise, I didn't spot him until this time I watched it. He could throw jizz in my face any time. <laughs> Someone else's or? And smell my cunt. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, a, he's part of the SWAT team at the end. Okay. He's the guy who's. Because like, he's, he's famous for like his quiff, his hair, isn't he? Like like James yeah. Dean. And because he's got his hat on, I didn't recognise him. Yeah, he's oh, a yeah. thing. He was no, a singer. Now I want to know the song Wicked Game. You'll know it if you hear I it. I think I know the song. It's got a classic. It's got a very classic guitar. He's in Friends as well. He's in episode of Friends. Okay, I need to see this person. Chris Isaac. This is the person. I'll Google him in a minute. Um, so it stars many fabulous people, and um, the story concerns young FBI. She's a trainee, still isn't she? Yeah. Recruit Clary Starling, who is called into the office one day by her boss, uh, Jack Crawford played by Scott Glenn, and he wants her to help him uh, with a, a case, like a notorious case that's going on at the moment, and it's a serial killer called Buffalo Bill, and they can't seem to get anywhere, get any leads on it, so they want to speak to a um, criminal sort of psychologist, yeah, who's like one of the greatest minds in the world, who can get under the skin of um, serial killers and will, will really help them sort of unlock who this guy is. He just so happens to be a cannibal who's locked in the basement of uh, the local mental asylum. And his name's Hannibal Lecter. So we follow Clarice as she gets on board with the hunt for Buffalo Bill whilst trying not to let Hannibal the cannibal get too far under her skin and into her mind. Chaos ensues. Jizz and chaos. Jizz and hand. That's what they could have called this film, Jizz and chaos. So yeah, there will be spoilers. I'm sure everybody's seen this film who's listening to this podcast but if you haven't then there are spoilers gonna spoil a 25 year old film for you yeah <laughs> unlucky 25 years old that makes me feel really old 26 26 yeah do you know that this film uh, my mum and dad bought me this I, I say this in every podcast don't I my mum and dad bought me this on my I think 12th birthday on video Silence of the Lambs thanks when did it come out 91 yeah I was one but in, on a video though back then it took like years for it to come out on video didn't it mm-hmm two years yeah yeah. not like now where yeah it is something's on a telly like six months later that's on video on demand isn't it like yeah. two yeah. weeks after it's been on the cinema any big fans of this film in the room I love this film yeah mm-hmm. I love this is I one, love it this is one of those films that actually it's it's on quite heavy rotation it's always pops up on like ITV3 and stuff like yeah. that it's one of those films that if it's on, I'll just put it I'll just watch it no matter what, what bit yeah. it's up to I haven't seen it much recently to be fair yeah I think maybe because that Mindhunter show is out, I think they've trying to they've kind of pulled it off the uh, ITV3. Yeah. Because it's kind of about the same thing. Mindhunter's like the, uh, it's like the birth of the criminal psychologist thing. I the, suppose it is, yeah. Because that, that Jack Crawford was the head of it. So that, what Clarice has been sent to do is what they're doing in Mindhunter. So maybe they've said, obviously, we, we don't want this on telly at the same time. So Possibly. It's it on every single stream, it's like that. Yeah. Like, it was on... Oh, yeah. Uh, Netflix, it was on um, Amazon... It was everywhere I looked. I tend to, I tend to, on the telly, I tend to see Red Dragon on. Yeah. The remake of Head Mind. I, I never see Red Dragon on anywhere. You've never seen Red Dragon? I've never seen it. <gasps> yeah. that, that's on more often Is it? than yeah. Hannibal or Science of the Lambs. I think because it's it's not as good and it didn't do as well at the box office. I like Red Dragon. 
I don't, I'm not saying it, I don't like it. Because saying it isn't as good and it isn't. No. That's the one in Japan. Oh, what's that one? Where it's him as a kid. Rise, Hannibal Rise. Oh, no, 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 I watched that before this podcast <laughs> before because I've never seen it. I endure, endured it. I never lasted. I've never lasted before. It was this podcast that made me watch no, it all. I think I saw an hour and was like, no, I'm not. I've sort of read bits of it and seen bits of it and. Um, I'm, I'm one of those people who I hate it you know when you've got a classic movie monster like Michael Myers or Hannibal Lecter and um, okay. yeah. so Jonathan Butler's just stripping everyone <laughs> just so you all know he's um, trying to distract us by taking his clothes off do you need more attention is that what it is <laughs> um, he's, yeah I'm going to stop playing pour some sugar on me and you can do like a lap down the road buy horses <laughs> yeah go buy horses yeah um I hate yeah. when they have to sort of they yeah. feel they have feel they have to give them like a backstory. I hate all that. However, the fiendishness of the Hannibal Lecter backstory and Hannibal Rising I do quite like. So they sort of try and explain the fact that he's a cannibal because him and his sister were trapped by Nazis as children and the Nazis ate his sister in front of him. Mm. And I like that's grisly, isn't it? That's grisly, but I just don't buy it. I think he's that I think he's far too cool for that to have been the reason. I don't think he would have been corrupted by anything, I would think he would have just corrupted himself. But, they, yeah, but, but Hannibal child. Rising came from the novel by Thomas Harris. Hannibal Rising, oh. and he and he did he adapted his own novel for the film. So well, the whole story only, is his story. It's appalling. Yeah, he it's only a, wrote yeah. it because the publishers came around to him and said, "You need to write it because if you don't write it, someone else is going to write it when you're gone." And that's why he wrote it. So he didn't yeah. want to do the project. So I feel like. I think that's so really it's still shit. You shit on it before shit. someone else does. Yeah, yeah, basically. basically. <sighs> the only good thing about Hannibal Rising is Fallout who plays Hannibal. That's he's actually good. Yeah, he's beautiful as well. Hmm. He's, he's my second sexiest Hannibal. <laughs> Doesn't mean there's only two, <laughs> but you know. Um, there's a few Hannibals in there. Sexy ones, though. Oh. Mads in Mads the series. Mads. From the get go. You don't like Brian Cox? No. No, okay. no, no. I did like him when he, he played a paedophile in a film called L.I.E. Yeah. It was really good, isn't it? Anyway, um, <laughs> the Howard Shaw score is the most, my first note, the Howard Shaw score is the most 90s thriller score I've ever mm. heard in my life. Yeah. And whenever I think of 90s thrillers, this music pops into my head. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. So, me and Martin had this debate, didn't we, Martin? Is it a 90s thriller or is it a horror? Hmm. Well, I don't understand this debate in general because it's a thriller, right? End of thriller. But thriller is just horror, but lighter. Do you think? A thriller is just a light horror. It's just you swap out a bit of maybe a bit of the gore and maybe a bit of the jump scary kind of thing but this is and then just add a bit of drama well explain to me it's the same thing Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy then which is a thriller it's not remotely yeah. I have no interest no. in seeing it it's, it's no like idea. a spy <laughs> thriller isn't it yeah it's no horror in it I mean, but it 
villain, I think, has just... Just so the viewers, so the listeners know, Martin looks very smug right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just pissed me off. <laughs> um, but I think you can take any genre and twist it towards a different genre. So you can have a sci-fi that's more horror or a sci-fi yeah. that's more fantasy. Hmm. And I think you can have a thriller, which is genuinely... A, a thriller is... To me, I can't think of many thrillers that aren't based around a bit of suspense, a bit of horror, a bit of... Scariness. Mm. Yeah. You've got to have a bit of that in it mm. to be a thriller. Otherwise, you're just a drama. Are there any scary bits in Tinker Tale Soldier Spy? I've never seen it. Or is it no? suspenseful? I think suspense I think, is probably I think thriller has I think thriller has suspense mm. I don't think it has horror you don't necessarily have to have to pay off but I feel like it lives in the same realm because drama is just around it isn't it doesn't rely on any suspense so you you think this is a horror then without like any shadow of a doubt I can see why it's interpreted as a thriller but it is a horror because it's well it is horrific <laughs> at times yeah. it is horrific yeah um and it's gory and it's, <coughs> and it's um, it is actually scary yeah. and lots of thrillers aren't scary no. basic instinct thriller not scary yeah body of evidence thriller <laughs> not yeah. scary wow. not thrilling <laughs> <laughs> yeah I suppose all like the, the Tom Clancy like all clear yeah. present dangers you call those like spy thrillers or you know, action thrillers or like, action thrillers um, What's that fellow who does all the all the lawyer based oh, things like the John Christian? John Christian. Yeah. They're thrillers. They're not scary, but they're mm. suspenseful, yeah. aren't they? So you would call. So this is a horror then. I'd pro- I would say it's a thriller with horror elements. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what I'd go with. I doubt. Let's face it. It done really well. It won all the awards. Let's claim it for our own. It's horror. <laughs> but they'd never let. I was an hour hot. That, that well, that was one of my arguments, mm-hmm. wasn't it? They they would yeah. never let the mainstream would never let something that is out and out horror be taken seriously enough to yeah, win five Academy Awards. Sort of that was just called something that was just called a horror. Yeah. The, the Academy probably wouldn't be yeah. interested in it. So they have to sort they probably would have had to slip it through as a thriller just to get yeah. And yeah let's and they and they've got the convenient um the convenient intellectual doctor psychiatrist drag of the monster mm. yeah. to class it up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah at the, at the end of the day He's the monster, or a monster, isn't yeah. he? Do you know what I mean? And, and he is so... It, but it lends a respectability for the Academy to, yeah, yeah. to wheel that in. Yeah, and he's so arch and camp <laughs> yeah. as well that that yeah. belongs in a horror and not a thriller, yeah. doesn't it? The way he performs that mm. role. Because Brian Cox, if you watch Manhunter, Brian Cox, yeah, it's, it doesn't play it as a, no, as a it, horror character. It's more of a thriller. So it's an ongoing debate. It's an ongoing debate. I think uh, the police procedural element of it takes it away from horror for me as well. So when we talk, yeah, about but you can have like a, a police thriller. So I'd I'd put it probably something like a some thriller horror. It's yeah. like a hybrid of two. Yeah, which I've got no yeah. problem with. I I think because um, we 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 watched it together, didn't we? We did. And I was at the on the first the first ten minutes. I'm going thriller, 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 thriller. Thriller, 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 thriller. And then the minute she went down into the basement, I was like, oh, yeah, it's horror. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Uh, but a lot of stuff we talk about, like Jello, not, you wouldn't, arguably, you wouldn't call all of those horror, would That's you? what I mean, yeah. Uh, the police element of it takes sort yeah, of they'd probably, down the horror element. They'd drag it more, probably like a crime procedural mm, thriller. Yeah, but anyway, we all like it. 
It's also one of those films that uh, viewers of a certain age in the UK can't watch the same thanks to French and Saunders. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Um, if you go on YouTube and uh, search French and Saunders, Sounds of the Lambs, you're in for a treat. But don't do it until you've watched. Please watch the film. Please first. watch the film first <laughs> and enjoy yeah, the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Clarice goes to see Hannibal Lecter for the first time and walks down a House of Horrors type hallway filled with cells of raven lunatics. One of them is um, multiple Migs. Migs, yeah. <laughs> It definitely uh, doesn't reference From Beyond at all, I don't think. No, it, no. It definitely doesn't. It doesn't throw the cum at her straight away. He, tells, he just yeah. tells her he can smell it. But even the um, the way it's shot and everything, it looks very similar to the start yeah. of From Beyond. So I, yeah. I think he's definitely seen it. I think Jonathan Demi's not above ripping off From Beyond. No, he's definitely not. But doesn't he say, one of the first things he says to her is, um, I can't smell your cunt. <laughs> I myself cannot. What did Mick say to you? <laughs> I can smell your cunt. I myself cannot. The way he, he, like, smells it through the air holes and all the whiffs is so creepy. Yeah. It's just... Yeah, it doesn't identify perfume. It's like, you usually wear this. Yeah. But you're not wearing it Yeah, not today. Yeah. I think just the camera doing the POV shots coming around to see him standing there perfectly still yeah. is one of the best introductions to a character ever. Like, it is, yeah. Without doing anything, he just says so much. I feel like I've seen it so many times that, that I'm not... I can't be scared of him anymore. Mm. But I feel like I was when I first saw it, hmm. and I think a lot of people coming to it fresh would be would still be scared of Anthony yeah. Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. I think he does camp it up in a big way. He does ham it up in a big way, but I think yeah. he does it really well hmm. at the same time. For me, there's only one scene where it doesn't really work. It comes across as a bit too campy, but that's least one. So okay, too campy. But for most most of it, it is <laughs> no. But I mean, it kind of it kind of. He plays most of it straight, and then there's this one scene where it it's kind of goes over the top, and it's like yeah. he, he becomes a bit of like a, a campy Bella Lugosi kind of thing, and it's yeah, like that's that's right. it's gone. Yeah, definitely. And so it's a film that sort of doesn't it doesn't mess about, does it? it gets straight in there. Mm. It gets straight in there. We see in the very first scene the collage of Buffalo Bill's killings on the wall. We know exactly what the story is. Then Jack Crawford tells us what the story mm-hmm. is. And then she goes and the, st- the story kicks off because she meets Hannibal Lecter. And he reads her for filth as well in that first scene. He says yes. that she's, she's poor white trash. Yeah. <laughs> With, With your cheap shoes. bag and your cheap shoes. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's great. One generation away from right, white trash. Yeah. But it's a, he impersonates uh, accent, doesn't he? Yeah. He actually didn't tell her that she was going to do that wasn't in the script to impersonate her accent oh, but he just okay. starts getting her accent mm-hmm. and the way she was doing it and then that reaction is a genuine reaction shot because right. she was actually offended that he'd started skitting the accent oh, that she'd put cool. on for the role oh I like that I like that because sometimes her accent does go a bit into parody mm-hmm. I think she does go a bit too far with it but she did, she'd had no accent as well when she first done it yeah and they've made her put the accent in oh yeah because okay. he said he wanted her to have that sort of charm. Yeah. Mm. Um, I read the book of this when I was very young, and it was the first time I encountered the word semen, and I asked my dad what it meant. Yeah. <laughs> I said, Dad, what does semen mean? And for the life of me, can't remember how he got out of that, but he got did, out of it. Did, did he just jump out the window? <laughs> yeah, I think he possibly did. Look at that! <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. 
You know what you look like to me with your good bag and your cheap shoes? You look like a rogue. A well-scrubbed hustling rogue with a little taste. Good nutrition's given you some length of bone, but you're not more than one generation from poor wire trash, are you, Agent Starling? And that accent you've tried so desperately to shed, pure West Virginia. What is your father dear? Is he a coal miner? Does he stink of the land? And oh, how quickly the boys found you. All those tedious, sticky fumblings in the backseats of cars while you could only dream of getting out, getting anywhere, getting all the way to the end. You see a lot, Doctor? And are you strong enough to point that high-powered perception at yourself? What about it? Why don't you, why don't you look at yourself and write down what you see? Or maybe you're afraid to. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. You fly back to school now, little starting. Um, so yeah, we're elevated from one level of horror to another. When um, after, so after she sort of sees Hannibal for the first time, Mix in the next cell actually does fling as jizz in the, in her face. That's why we keep referencing jizz in this podcast. <laughs> Not like we did <laughs> in all the others. <laughs> we never discuss things. <laughs> I'm so PC friendly here. <laughs> um, one thing that strikes me about this scene is not the gist. Um I genuinely don't remember it from my childhood. But I remember watching this film a lot in my childhood, but I do mm. not remember the crumb scene at all. So I think I just didn't understand what it was. Do you think mm. maybe your parents fast forwarded them? No, because I was the only person who watched these kind of films from parents never. So I wouldn't have watched it with them. I think I just didn't understand what it's seen on the screen. Yeah, and I think so. Probably. It just it just went over my head completely. Yeah, yeah. maybe yeah. you thought it was like snot or something. Yeah, I just didn't get it. Oh, he's blue his nose. It's got a bit of a cold. It's what I don't know when you watch it like years and years later, and then you see the scene and you go, "Wait a minute, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Did yeah. that actually just happen? And yeah. how have I never noticed?" Yeah. Well, I like to think at that age when there's used to come shots as you are now. Yeah, now I'm used to them going over my head. Yeah. You are sure. Do you want to tell the next story? I can do. Yeah. My well. nickname at home um, was <laughs> Nick. <laughs> this film hadn't been, hadn't come out. Oh. And the book hadn't come out. <laughs> but I was called Mix before this novel or the book or the film came out. Because when I was little, if my like clothes were all over the place, they used to say to me, "Come over here and get your middles tucked in." So then, when I was uncomfortable, I just used to say to people, "Mix," <laughs> and then they used to call me. And then they called, just used to say "Mix" to me, and that became my nickname, mm-hmm. Mix. Oh, that's quite. And they promptly dropped it after this one came out. No, because they're not not aware of it. I was still called Mix, but from the beginning, I left home. Um, that's a different story. Um, but yeah, that was called Mix. Not multiple Mix. Not multiple I'm not, Mix. I'm not inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> he still walks around with his midriff on the show now, though. Uh, yes. Yeah. Fling midges at people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I love all the flashbacks to Clarice's childhood. I think they're quite, they're quite nicely done, aren't they? 
they come quite quickly as well. They yeah. start quite early in the film. Mm. They're um, only short as well, aren't they? It's like you just get like a f- almost like a few seconds, don't you? Yeah. It's like a dad's funeral and yeah. things like that. Yeah. yeah. I like that they don't actually show you the farm. I think that would be too much. Just yeah. her explaining about it, I think, works better. Well, there's a few things I think that, are, that they do in this film. I mean, I do think it's an over-the-top camp film. But there are moments of um, really, where they really hold back, which they wouldn't do now. Like there's the scene, I, I think it's at the beginning, where where um, Doctor Chilton is telling her what Hannibal did to a nurse, mm. and yeah, shows the photograph. Yeah, and it's like if we had that film now, we would see they'd have to show us the photograph, or there'd be the like, scene. Yeah, a the, crap flashback. The to show that scene, yeah. yeah, yeah, which we do see, and it's actually in Hannibal as well. We yeah. do see it in Hannibal the sequel, um, or the next film in the in the series. Um, so I think it's good at that it is good at holding certain things yeah. back it knows when to show restraints and when to actually show yeah. it I was saying before we started that this is I really love this film it's one of my favourites but this was the, the least I've enjoyed it when we watched it is that because you've read the book? because I've just read the book and I think it's because I think it's the first time I've watched it since the Hannibal series okay and I like one character for me that I think doesn't is I don't think Crawford it's that interesting in this version at all and I really love Lawrence Fishburne yeah Fishburne, he plays him in the series yeah Yeah, I think his version of that character is just so much more fleshed out and it only struck me because I was when he came on the screen I was like I just thought he was black and I think <laughs> it was just because that's the version that now is in my head yeah and then when I looked it up he's white in every other version so yeah, of course. Lawrence Fishburne you're just over there he does, yeah, but the thing, I mean, they've got the they've got the sort of luxury of developing the character in a series that they wouldn't yeah. have in the film. And Scott Glenn is a good actor, isn't he? And he, he he's, I think he's got a certain gravitas to him, but I think what they don't quite capture in the film is um, in the book. Is it in the book? Am I, am I right that he's he, he fancies Clarice? There's a bit of a... It's alluded to, yeah. There's a bit of a fatherly sexual attraction... Kind of thing between the two of them. Well, Lecter hints at that, doesn't he? Yeah. Mm. But they never really explore it. Yeah, you never really see much of it in the film, which I think is a bit of a missed missed opportunity. And then it was in this film, they completely write out Barney. Yeah. He's in the other one scene, and yeah. in the book, he's such a pivotal character yeah. that yeah. it's really kind of sad. That's why I did him as well, because I actually I never realised how important he was to the story. Yeah. It's kind of sad that he got writ out. He's like blinking, you miss Stuff him. Stuff have to do. Yeah. Um, so um, I like Casey Lemons who plays Ardelia Mapp who's her little who's Clarice's sidekick who made mm-hmm. a bit of a career in the 90s out of being um, some she basically was, was the, the leading white woman's black sidekick she was the same, <laughs> same in Candyman as well she was yeah. um, Helen's best friend in Candyman um, although she went on to have a career behind the camera and made one of my favourite films from the 90s called Eve's Bayou I've never seen that no, I've heard of it. That's good. That's a thriller with mm. sort of gothic horror leanings as well about a young black girl growing up in, in uh, Louisiana. It's all about voodoo and stuff like mm. that. Case Lemon's directed that. Well. So, talented lady. There's like a training exercise where... There's training montage? Yeah, training montage. There's always training montage. I love a training montage. But um, she makes a mistake in one of the FBI training things where she didn't check a corner. Yeah. And... That really wound me up because after I just read the book and she's meant to be the star people and she never makes a mistake and the mm. entire thing is that she doesn't do it. And I feel like there's certain points in this film where she does things that are amateurish. Well, she's, take, she's only learning, I suppose, isn't she? But they take away some of the power that the character has mm. and, like, the independence. 
like when she goes to see the bodies in the book, it's her doing everything. She's yeah. taking the fingerprints, and that's why yeah. she's doing it all by herself with like guidance. Yeah. Whereas in this, it was a lot more like she didn't quite have the same power. Yeah. I think, but I think the reason why they do that in the film is the way I read it was um, it's part of her coming up against the sexism of yeah. the, in the FBI and how she's not expect she's she's not expected to get it well she's she's she has to be more perfect than any of the men. She's not allowed to make a mistake. She's not expected to take the upper hand mm. um when they're doing the autopsy and, and yeah. all of that she's not meant to have any she's not meant to have any ability or any capacity in it whatsoever. And yet right throughout the film Every time that happens, every time she's withdrawn from something, she, she inadvertently proves them wrong, mm. doesn't she? Because mm. in the autopsy, she discovers something that nobody else discovers. Because yeah. yeah. we'll come on to that. And yeah. the final, the final part of the film, mm-hmm. where they're discovering where Buffalo Bill is, yeah. she has a very pivotal part part in that doesn't she but that's it even in that scene she's it feels a lot more like she stumbled into that in the film whereas in the book it's a lot more mm. she found it like she made that happen as opposed to just but she managed to, she managed to deal with that whole situation completely by herself yeah I mean she's badass still I love that and she's kind of uh, she, she does everything by instinct as well doesn't she in the film Mm. She does sort of seem to stumble into things, but she, but it's well, her natural instinct that gets her through it that the others couldn't. Yeah, the, mm. the other men around it couldn't. Her talent, yeah. but she goes. Talent. She knows to go to the right place, though. She's. It's not like it's totally. It's not totally accidental. She's in the right place to yeah. discover it. So yeah, I think I don't think it's as as egregious as that where yeah. it's kind of she bumbles into it. She's in the right place to find it, but yeah. there's a little bit of luck, I suppose. Yeah, and I suppose it's about making a, hu- a human and stuff yeah. as well, isn't it? Because. <laughs> Because she, she could come across as a bit unlikable if she's always yeah. the best at everything in the film. In the book, it's and when you read the book, it's different, isn't it? You, they can get away with a lot more. And I think they had time to develop the fact that she discovered it the way she discovered it because actually in the book, it's like a chapter and a half about how she's going for this really boring dressmaking thing, which yeah. in a book works, but if you start talking about the world of dressmaking and talking to friends of a dressmaker yeah. in a film... You lose everyone. Yeah. Yeah. The system doesn't want her to be right, even mm. though they want to find the killer. They don't want her to be the key. Well she's just she's to solving the case. She's bait. She's bait for Hannibal yeah. Lecter because yeah. they know if they send somebody who's actually experienced to deal with him, yeah. he won't he won't cooperate in any way. Yeah. Whereas if they send this rookie trainee who whose ego will be boosted by them using using her. Yeah. Um, he'll be duped into revealing more because he knows that she's a trainee. That's mm. why they use her. Not because of her t- it's not actually really because of no. her talent. Yeah. It's because and nobody they, expects much of her. They don't expect much of her, and they never. And but also, they don't want to be. They it wouldn't serve any of their purposes for her to do take the glory to take it. the glory because they want the glory. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I do like that. Um, the visual references to the fact that she's 
kind of like the underdog girl because like even when she gets into the lift at the beginning the shots doesn't say that all the men Towerable are like seven yeah. foot men yeah. that are like towering over her and she's just this small like little tiny girl and little joggers and I think there's a lot of points to that where they make her look like she's just this small little never, tiny girl in a big man's world I'd never noticed how short she was until I watched it this yeah. time yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely um so she goes off, following one of Hannibal's leads, she goes off to her storage facility, doesn't she? And finds um, a head, and she finds a disembodied head in a jar with false eyelashes. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I never noticed until this viewing was that um, Buffalo Bill actually dragged up Benjamin Rasbill after he killed him. Okay, he had eyelashes. There's big thick eyelashes on Yeah. How many other things that? And makeup. It's dragged up. It's, mm-hmm. like a, it's, like a, it's like a severed head, but it's dragged up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's a line in it, and I can't. I, I never made it. It was the line up, but but basically, um, oh yeah, yeah. Hannibal said so. She so the try so she's trying to make out what who Benjamin Rossbell was, and um, he says she says so. Rossbell was a transvestite, and Hannibal says he wasn't a trans a transvestite in life, but the killer's attempt at transformation. Yeah, it's a fledgling killer's attempt at transformation. So she, so it's basically he kills him and then drags up the party. <laughs> It's like a little uh, dress up thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it called? It was, it was a girl's world. Girl's world. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a real life or dead girl's world. And I think that's the. That's your, that's your first flag, I think, around um, Buffalo Bill's identity yeah. and thing around. Gender and transformation. Yeah, that's your that's your first clue, I think. And we'll get into this discussion yeah. more. I guess this isn't straightforward. This isn't a straightforward trans person. No. This is something completely yeah. of a different world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, things have to fit into the well now two hundred and eighty character count on Twitter for, for people to actually accept something and <laughs> real life isn't like that you know yeah. um, and I'm saying real life but this actually isn't real life and that's also part of the point of the argument for it as well it's a story yeah. we get on to so after this so we're, we're, we're watching we're following Clarice as she's trying to sort of pick apart what's going on and then at the same time we see Buffalo Bill's next move which is Senator Martin's daughter Catherine driving along listening to American Girl by Tom Petty um, it's great it's a great it's a great scene and um, I was laughing I was telling Martin that um, I, it shows how many times I've actually seen this film I was crossing over uh, Hope Street last year this was and someone drove past with American Girl blasting out of the window and the moment where she, she ad-libs make it last all night I did that in the <laughs> street in front of everyone because that was the bit that was playing as I drove past oh. that's how many times I've seen this film um, and the lesson here is never help anyone into the back of a van with furniture. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so Catherine is dragged into the back of a van. She's lured in there by Buffalo Bill, who's got very, very dirty nicotine stained nails, mm-hmm. which yeah. really freaks me out. Um, he's, she's knocked out and stripped, and we wonder what the hell Buffalo Bill is doing with this girl's. God, doesn't he leave her yeah. clothes in a little pile just yeah. before he drives off? Yeah, he just dumps, just, just dumps them off the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's the same because he has he's a combination of three serial killers. He's a combination of Ted Bundy with his tactics of the way he kidnaps with the um, cast because that's what he used to do yeah. in the parks. There's obviously Ed Gein in there as well. Ed Gein yeah. for the skin 
wearing and I forget the last guy's name but I wrote it down. Gary Hendrick who kept women in his basement in a little hole but unlike him he only Buffalo Bill keeps one whereas he used to have like five living in a little tiny hole. Cozy. We get a really interesting moment don't we where so he goes to the funeral home of the last girl that they found dead. Who did they find dead? So it's Frederica Bimmel isn't it? The mm. girl, that's the girl they find dead. So they go to the funeral home um, where they're going to do the autopsy. Is it a funeral home? Yeah, they go to the funeral home first. They go there first and then they do the autopsy separately. Yeah, because that scene before before the autopsy, you get the scene where Jack Crawford says, oh, wait outside, we'll go in and see the body first. So she's just stood out, she's just left in the lobby with all the the cops, isn't she? And then it's after that I've done the autopsy where he says, oh, I'm sorry about doing that. It wasn't on purpose. I was just, you were staying outside to, you know, we had to, to keep the kind of the hierarchy where he's you know he's he's in charge and she waits yeah, outside. Yeah. yeah, it's in America they have their their funeral homes are where they do the autopsies. It's like I think it's two and one. I think we do it separate. Yeah, I'm actually yeah, having just watched the autopsy of Jane Doe. I've I've seen this for myself. Yeah, they do the autopsies down in the basement and then the funeral homes upstairs. Yeah. It's like a witchcraft. Huh? Very strange. Yeah. Scary. We'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Um so we've got the um yeah, so she's in a funeral home and she has a flashback to her dead dad's funeral. Um which is all supposed to be really emotional, but I just can't take it seriously because she's got that terrible helmet hair. <laughs> I really struggle with that. Mm-hmm. And then they have the autopsy scene and I'm always grossed out by the autopsy scene. And I've seen a lot of autopsy scenes. Um but it's the bit where she notices that something's lodged in the dead girl's throat, doesn't she? Mm. And it's gonna be a bug bug cocoon and as they pull it out the the air uh, that escapes it's like a sigh almost oh, it? It, just always, it just makes me feel really sick doesn't she go and see her mates who are the geeks yeah, yeah. The end, and they're uh, and this is, it's so funny isn't it because they're they're funny characters because they they overtly flirt with her mm. in a way that all the other men don't but you know that the men are sexually attracted to her yeah um but they're the only men who treat her as an equal. Mm. Yeah. They mm. treat her as an equal intellectually and personally. There's yeah. no side to them. Yeah. They're just like, they're very honest and upfront and straight down the line, but they're not threatened by it and they're not a threat yeah. to her. Well, it's funny because before this scene, I made a note of um, where I wrote, are all the men in this scene either misogynist or predatory? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then when we got to those two, they're actually not. And I think it's a power thing. Mm. I think they're not, they're, 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 they don't want to be above her. Figuratively, they, yeah. they don't want to be. They don't want to be above it, as in you know, they're they're sort of small town cops seeing this federal rookie come in. Mm. They're like, who the fuck do you think you are? They're not like that. They're not already above it, as in they're her boss yeah. looking down on it. Um, you know, they're, they're just on the same. All those characters have got a, like an an inbuilt hierarchy within their character with the jobs they do and law yeah. enforcement. That, that's part of the probably they have to drill out into people almost yeah. like the chain of command so mm. they're already kind of who's this person they're below me they're yeah. above me so yeah. I think that's just part of the job whereas they're not they're just scientists so they, they, so they can flirt openly with it and you don't think it's creepy Yeah, you know they haven't got that I think there's value though as well in what the police officers and that are they value strength and like their ability to use a gun and stuff like that mm. as that's the sign of their strength and that's masculinity and everything. That's what they cover, and that's why they look down on it. Whereas these two are intellectual men, and then what they 
Crawford says they think that they appreciate her, someone who's intelligent and smart, and she's yeah. obviously intelligent and smart. So they don't look down at her for not looking as strong as them. They look at her as an equal brain to them. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what the difference is. And in the book, she does end up dating the one with the scary eyes. <laughs> the scary eyes is very strange eyes, yeah. yeah. But that's an actual love story. They are the only ones mm. that it develops. I always thought the that they were a prototype of the lone gunmen in the, X- mm. the X-Files as well. Probably. They said the X-Men then. The X-Men. <laughs> Slightly different. So the geeks identify the moth, yeah. don't they? It's the death's head yeah. moth, yeah. and that it's not native to to the country. I think yeah, it's, it's like it has to be Southeast Asia. Has to be imported yeah. for Southeast Asia. It's quite specialist, so you would have to you have to go out of your way to import it. Yeah, um, so that provides a lead, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, and that's a uh, that's her drawing on her on on her resources that none of the others could draw mm. on. And anyway, she's using the feminine wiles in a, in a way as well. Yeah. Is, it, is that where we see Buffalo Bill's house? We see yeah, it's weird. And there's like, there's, there's just like a big collection of moths. Yeah. Of all sorts of moths everywhere. We can hear Catherine screaming in the background, mm. can't we? And I yeah. think that's the first time we see her down the well as well, isn't it? That's where we get the rubbed solution on its skin. That's where that scene is, isn't it? Is that, is that yeah, there? Yeah. yeah. That's that first scene. God, that's, that's quicker than I thought it was. Because you get the, it's the new, you see the news reports open, you're about it being a senator's daughter that's gone missing, yeah. and then it cuts straight to them where she's down the well. Yeah, yeah. She actually really, I know this is terrible, but she really fucking annoys me, Catherine, with all the screaming. I think she's really... Really? She's really mm. horrible and uncouth. Because I think Senator Ruth Martin is dead classy, and I just think, how did she get better to that? Yeah, but I think she is meant to be a bit of a terrorist. She's not meant to be like a mother. No, no. Because well, she's a... I much prefer a mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who was Joan Crawford's daughter in Straight Jacket. I think she's just a bit more of a... Um, she just looks like a normal girl whereas yeah. like who's kind of rebelled and gone through life and I like the fact that she doesn't take no shit she she's down a well shit. and yeah. she stands up for a fucking self and she's like yeah. and when she's getting rescued she's not even appreciative yeah that, and, that yeah, annoys that me though oh really no fun. oh come on that's... how dare you call Cody Stalin a fucking bitch if she's trying <laughs> to rescue you out of a well ungrateful bitch ungrateful oh, definitely. Definitely. you live down that well I leave bitch. yeah I would leave it. I'm fine the front door and get yeah. Is this where we get to the scene where um so me and Jonathan have both made the same notes. <laughs> Was she big through the hips? Really? <laughs> <laughs> so they're talking about Federica out there. Yeah. The dead girl. Um I just love the way he the way he says it. Rumi. Referring to it as being fast. But he can't do reference that a few times because when he kidnaps people he's always checks the size it's like oh you were 14 it's like that's it's like a just before he just before he hits (laughs) Catherine doesn't he goes are you a size 14 yeah kidnapping someone is one thing gonna hit them over the head and everything but asking a woman a dress size is very (laughs) good it is very good (laughs) but by asking them their dress size he's looking for his dress size because they're his dress (laughs) 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 they're actually their skin is his dress so, you know, he's only being practical. He doesn't want to kidnap the wrong size. No. Well, no, because he needs to make a size 10 and he needs excess material. Because he is skinny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's skinnier than the girls, isn't he? Yeah. Well, this the bit where they talk about the actual transsexualism with um, Lecter. Yeah, yeah. And undeniable for me, this is not transphobic in any way. So, the. So the um, so, Chloe Stan says, there's no correlation in the literature between transsexualism and violence. Transsexuals are very passive. Hannibal Lecter then says, Billy is not real. Billy is not a real transsexual. 
There are three major centres for transsexual surgery. I wouldn't be surprised if Billy had applied for sex reassignments at one or all of them and been rejected. Billy hates his own identity, you see, and he thinks that makes him a transsexual. So they are unequivocally saying he is not trans. Yeah, and I think that is the answer to everything. Doesn't that, in the book, doesn't Crawford go to one of the... John Hopkins is it or one of them it goes to this is how one of the reasons why she finds him in the end yeah. along with the dress size thing is that she knows from speaking to these people and going yeah. to the institutions that he wasn't a transsexual and he doesn't pass the psych tests yeah I think and the interesting I think one of the interesting arguments for people who are saying it's transphobic they are saying one of the things which surprised me one of the things that they're most offended by is Hannibal and Clarice taking it out of Buffalo Bill's hands to say whether he's trans or not. So they're most offended by them referring to Buffalo Bill as not being trans when it's Buffalo Bill's it's Buffalo That's Bill's true. place to say whether he's trans or she's trans or not. That's one of the that's that's one of the big I arguments. I can get that argument but Hannibal knows knows him. Yeah. Yeah. And he knows James Gorn. Yeah. And also the, the, and also he's distinguishing between the genuine identity of genuinely identifying as a as a different gender than you're assigned to having some sort of identity disorder which mm. means that you're completely perverted and want to kill people and wear their skin yeah. and that's, that's it the only thing that they get wrong is the cack-handed thing of saying that trans people are passive. Yeah. And that's just a, a yeah, that's, that's just great. a that's just an eighties, nineties yeah. cack-handed yeah. way of trying to be trying to be broad minded and accept it. <laughs> yeah. They are they which is no which is no crime because no, it doesn't not. matter at all. But I think I think it's compl- it is a complete nonsense to say that this is a transphobic film mm. or that this is a film about transgender it's dealt with and it's very obvious how they deal with it it's yeah. not about gender it's about perverted perverted murderous identity i also i also <laughs> think that to take it you also you always have to take into into account watching the film and watching how how people how the actors perform and how they say the words, the inflection in the words, the humanity in the words. If you read those things on a website, on a think piece, on an opinion piece, um, and you see those words, you might read that in a certain mm-hmm. way, but the people, a lot of the time, the people who are writing those things have their own axe to grind with the film and know full well how that might look written down. Mm-hmm. But if you actually take the time out to watch that film, you might think differently. I think. And I'd like to say that to people who might not have seen the film or not yeah. in a long time. Watch it and let that inform what you think mm. of it. I think the real problem is that there wasn't there isn't much transgender representation on film and on television. And then if you think about films like this, like Psycho, like Sleepaway Camp all three of those examples I wouldn't say any one of those characters was really a trans person no, like they were all right. forced into that or mental illness mm. but then they are probably the only off the top of my head three characters that are dressed as an opposite sex to their assigned bear in a horror film and every one of them is painted as 
evil and a killer. And but unfortunately, that's that, that that's also because they're characters. No matter what gender or sexuality they are, they are characters in a horror film, and nobody really ever comes out well. <laughs> no, it's not. But also, Norman Bates isn't identifying as a woman. Yeah, he's, he's trying to keep his mum alive. So he's actually trying to he's actually trying to keep somebody else's identity alive. Yeah. Not his own. Sleepaway Camp. That poor child is, is mutilated and forced to to, mm. to live in a different gender, and James yeah. Gunn just wants to wear people's skin. Yeah, I don't agree that any of them are representation, but I'm, all I'm saying is, I suppose if there's no other representation, and we're coming at it with intelligent views that we've listened to lines like mm. he's not actually a transsexual, but then people who watch this from a general audience who's just uneducated and they're not used to people who are transgender or they've never been around that situation they're not going to listen to that nuance of that line they're just mm-hmm. going to see it as oh well that's a person a man dressing up as a woman he took this junkers way that's a transgender person transgender people are weird I can understand where it might come across wrong but I also think you shouldn't just play to the dumbest person in the room as no. well. I, you know, I, I, I don't think that's an excuse. I don't think that's an argument to not make the not make a film with characters in it that that aren't easy to label. Yeah. I think you know. I think you're right. In I think you're right, Stephen. In terms of sort of the popular film going audience, isn't necessarily always going to be that sophisticated in its thinking. But I don't think you should ever treat an audience as being stupid. No. You should always treat an audience as being as intelligent yeah. and and challenge your audience to be more intelligent yeah. than they actually are. And, all, yeah. and also, I think you, if we, you, there's a, there's actually there's a different argument here. It's a nonsense to be condemning this film when actually we should be having an argument about how does wider Hollywood give access to. LGBT writers and actors and directors and all of that sort of thing and actually have mainstream stories, mm-hmm. whether that's horror or anything else, or any other minorities. It doesn't. It's all white-dominated and heterosexual-dominated. Who knows, say, if Jonathan Larkin has got an LGBT-themed trans... FBI agent pursuing a serial killer story in his brain. We don't know, do we? All locked away in his archive. But we might never actually find out because they'll never... They're never going to make that anyway. Never going to make it anyway. Never going to make that anyway. Um, I'm being devil's advocate because I don't think it is transphobic. But I just think it's interesting to think about where it could come from. Definitely. And I think if you've grown up up as a trans person and all you're surrounded by are negative images of people you know, freaks and dresses and things like that, then, then, you know, it is, it is going to be a problem for you and you are well within your rights to, to interrogate films like this and mm. wonder where it came from. But I, I agree with Martin that throwing words, words around like transphobic is becoming very, very easy these days. And it's not, it's actually, what it's doing is, um, it's actually silencing debates mm-hmm. because people are scared to say anything. Yeah. It's silence and debate. So what you're doing is you're saying that you you could be saying that um, the reality of your life, the reality of the world you know, isn't being represented on screen. So you're being silenced by what's out there. But then if anyone tries to debate it with you, you're doing the same thing to them. You're silencing them. And I think there has to be an open forum for dialogue about it, where you can where you can actually talk about it like a 
like a grown up. Mm. Well, you can't. Yeah, if you silence the conversation altogether, you silence any semblance of anything actually going to happen. Yeah. You silence any opportunity for creativity or anything to to happen. So, yeah. Inter- it interrogate it, question it, challenge it, yeah. but you've got to allow the conversation to happen, you've got to allow people to defend exactly. their position. And also as well, give people a break, people people are learning things as well, people yeah. who are watching these films that might be, might be still learning stuff, you know, you shouldn't just jump on them for it. The one thing I think was a bad decision to include was the fact that Hannibal says that the man he killed and dragged up, that, he, that was his boyfriend, and that's never established it's not a part of the book. It's just something they've added. Mm. There's a throwaway line when he says that um, it was his boyfriend. I do a love before it. He yeah. Them. yeah. And I think that is a bit of a misunderstanding of like why include that? Why would you need to add that extra dimension? I think it's a misunderstanding of what a trans person kind of assumed that they're gay. But he's not trans. Well, yeah, but I'm saying mm. that I feel like that's a weird thing to include. You're very frank, Larry. I think it would be quite something to know you private line. Quid pro quo, So tell me about Miss West Virginia. Was she a large girl? Yes. Big through the hips, Romy? They all were. What else? She had an object deliberately inserted into her throat. Now, that hasn't been made public yet. We don't know what it means. Was it a butterfly? Yes, a moth. Just like the one we found in Benjamin Raspail's head an hour ago. Why does he place them there, Doctor? The significance of the moth is change. Caterpillar into chrysalis or pupa, and from thence into beauty. Our belly wants to change too. There's no correlation in the literature between transsexualism and violence. Transsexuals are very passive. Have a girl. You're so close to the way you're going to catch him. Do you realize that? No. Tell me why. After your father's murder, you were orphaned. What happened next? I don't imagine the answer is on those secondary shoes, Clarice. I went to live with my mother's cousin and her husband Montana. They had a ranch. Was it a cattle ranch? Sheep and horses. How long did you live there? Two months. Why so briefly? I ran away. Why, Clarice? Did the rancher make you perform fellatio? Did he sodomize you? No. He was a very decent man. Quid pro quo, doctor. Billy is not a real transsexual, but he thinks he is. He tries to be. He's tried to be a lot of things, I expect. And you said that I was very close to the way we would catch him. What did you mean, Doctor? There are three major centers for transsexual surgery. Johns Hopkins, the University of Minnesota, and Columbus Medical Center. I wouldn't be surprised if Billy had applied for sex reassignment at one or all of them and been rejected. On what basis would they reject him? Look for severe childhood disturbances associated with violence. Our Billy wasn't born a criminal, Clarice. He was made one through years of systematic abuse. Billy hates his own identity, you see, and he thinks that makes him a transsexual. 
but his pathology is a thousand times more savage and more terrifying. Where are you up to in the plot? <laughs> Plum Island. Plum Island, doesn't it turn out to be like a leper colony or something? The same Anthra- Anthrax. Anthrax colony. <laughs> all, by, all animals infected with Anthrax. Yeah. And um, so they offer it to Lecter, don't they say, if you help us catch Bill, we'll, yeah. we'll move you to Plum Island. All of which is you may swim in the ocean for two minutes <laughs> <laughs> under SWAT surveillance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, so he signs the deal, doesn't he? Thinking he's getting, thinking he's going to be given a bit of freedom. He wants a room with a view. Um, and we are set up for the iconic and camp scene between Hannibal Lecter and Senator Ruth Martin, mm-hmm. which is fucking brilliant. Yeah, it's so hilariously camp. Love your suit. <laughs> <laughs> what does he say? He says something really awful, doesn't he? About um. When your when your daughter's lying on the slab, what will you what bits of you will still twitch or something? Uh, yeah, like it's that. saying when people get ampute- get limbs amputated. Yeah, oh, yeah they can still true. feel the sensation. Um, and then he talks about breastfeeding. Yeah, and it, oh, how yeah. it toughens your nipples. Toughens your nipples, don't it? Yeah. yeah. When she's yeah. lying on the slab, what what part of you will tickle? Yeah, it is. It's that great balance of how horrible he is there and he's really nasty to it and the things he says are just disgusting and then just as he walks away he's just, just the love the suit it's in mm. yeah it's the juxtaposition as much as the great line itself yeah it's the going from that to that which mm. that's just him that, that is yeah. what Hannibal is amputated man's like and he can still feel it tickling tell me mom when your little girl is on the slab where will it tickle you Senator Martin Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Dr. Lecter, I brought an affidavit guaranteeing your new rights. You want to read it before I sign. I won't waste your time or Catherine's time bargaining for petty privileges. Clarice Starling and that awful Jack Crawford have wasted far too much time already. I only pray they haven't doomed the poor girl. Let me help you now, and I will trust you when it is all over. You have my word, Paul. Buffalo Bill's real name is Louis Friend. I met him just once. He was referred to me in April or May 1980 by my patient Benjamin Raspell. They were lovers, you see. But Raspell had become very frightened. Apparently, Lewis had murdered a transient and done things with the skin. We need his address and a physical description. Tell me, Senator, did you nurse Catherine yourself? What? Did you breastfeed her? Now, wait a minute. Yes, I did. Toughened your nipples, didn't it? Oh, son of a bitch! Amputate a man's leg and he can still feel it tickling. Tell me, Mom, when your little girl is on the slab, where will it tickle you? Take this thing back to Baltimore. Five foot ten, strongly built, about 180 pounds. Hair blonde, eyes pale blue. He'd be about 35 now. He said he lived in Philadelphia, but may have lied. That's all I can remember, Mom. But if I think of any more, I will let you know. Oh, and Senator, just one more thing. Love your suit. It's just awful. 
But you sort of want to applaud it as well because yeah. it's yeah. so witty. He is a great character. I think. It's so witty. I think isn't he's it? much camper than him, Buffalo Bill, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> so, so much gayer. Think the campus moment in the film is him. Like, yeah. 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 And I think. Roger, uh, sorry, I was going to say Roger Corman's little cameo was around here as well. So who's Roger Corman? What does he play? He plays one, he's the FBI director. When he finds out that the deal was fake, yeah. uh, Senator Martin, I think, speaks to him. Right. And he's just on the phone saying, oh, we'll sort out the we'll yeah. sort proper deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's those weird cameos, like Chris Isaac and Roger Corman. And Charles Napier, he's in like Rambo and yeah. uh, Maniac Cop 2. He's, he's one of these, uh, Sergeant Pembry, I think. Because yeah. Yeah, Dr. Chilton arranges his own deal, doesn't he? Yeah. Agrees to fly him out to Tennessee, is it? Somewhere like that, yeah. And we ramp, so they ramp up the camp again, don't they? So uh, Hannibal is now imprisoned in a cage in the middle of like a... Museum, museum or something, or something yeah. yeah. Which is actually quite apt, isn't it? It's quite fitting for Hannibal to be. That other guy as well. Yeah, he's in all. He's in a lot all of Russ Meyer films, isn't that's he? The yeah. Guard, yeah, Pembroke, that's yeah. it. Yeah, Charles Napier. Because um, Jonathan Demme, the director, started out with right. Uh, he he wrote Black Mama, White Mama, which was like a black exploitation film with Pam Grier and and he wrote Cage Teeth. He directed Cage Teeth, which was like a women in prison movie in the seventies. So he's got like grindhouse credentials, right. which I think, which I think comes through in this film because what one thing you 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 can always say about most exploitation movies mm. is they're really efficient. They don't mess about. They just do the thing that they're mm. here to do and shock you, scare you, turn you on, titter you, whatever. And and Silence of the Lambs does that. Mm. And I think Jonathan that's because of Jonathan Demi's background and that's why you've got all these cameos as well because yeah. it's probably worth it. Um, so we're in the cage scene. In the cage, yeah. With the best interaction between the two. I was going to say, I love that scene. It really hands the file over. It's, so we got this, this this stuff with the lambs. Yeah. yeah. We finally find the out what the reference is to the science of the lambs, isn't it? But then, so this is the story of the lamb getting... She wakes up and hears screaming, doesn't she? Yeah. yeah. And she goes to rescue the lamb. Mm. Um, it runs away with one in her hands, but it's... But she yeah, yeah, it doesn't get very far because it's dead heavy. Yeah. But then... It's just a really powerful scene, isn't it? I don't know, just the way the two of them talk to each other and the close-ups, the intense close-ups as they're speaking, it's just so, mm. so riveting. And there was meant to be cutaways there to her waking up and going to get the lamb and running from the field. Um, and you were going to interplay it, and then when you saw the dailies, you just... The performances yeah, are just too powerful to mess up. It would have been... It would have been awful if they'd yeah. done that. Yeah. They'd they'd just just really they got kicked out of yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's definitely where the, the restraints is best, I think. Yeah. Um, mind the drawings, please. So, mm-hmm. we've got the attack on the two p- police officers, which is pure horror. That well, is pure horror. Before that, though, we get the... Um, the really, when he's handing the file, he just strokes her face. The only interaction they ever have in the film. Doesn't he just stroke her? A finger. A finger. He just strokes yeah. fingers. Yeah. The only, yeah. the only contact you ever have, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah. he focuses on it, yeah. really. What did you do? I went downstairs, outside. I crept up into the barn. I was, I was so scared to look inside, but I had to. What did you see, Clarice? What did you see? Lambs. They were screaming. They were slaughtering the spring lambs. And they were screaming. And you ran away? No. First I tried to free them. I I opened the gate to their pen, but they wouldn't run. They just stood there. 
confused. I went wrong. But you could, and you did, didn't you? Yes. I took one lamb and I ran away as fast as I could. Where were you going, Clary? I don't know. I didn't have any food, any water, and it was very cold. Very cold. I thought... I thought if I could save just one, but... It was so heavy. It was so heavy. I didn't get more than a few miles when the sheriff's car picked me up. The rancher was so angry, he sent me to live at the Lutheran Orphanage in Postman. I never saw the ranch again. What became of your lamb, Clary? You still wake up sometimes, don't you? You wake up in the dark and hear the screaming of the lambs. Yes. And you think if you save poor Catherine, you could make them stop, don't you? You think if Catherine lives, you won't wake up in the dark ever again to that awful screaming of the lambs. I don't know. Then you got the attack on the two cops, which is pure horror. And what it's—I feel like the build-up to this is what the viewers have been craving as well. Mm. They've been waiting. You've been waiting for this mm. this moment for the whole film. I do like what he gets for his dinner as well. What's he get? This rare lamb steak. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, his actual um, escape is just fucking genius. <laughs> it's absolutely genius. Like. I, I just love it. I just think it's so clever. It's gothic horror, isn't it? It's proper mm. gothic horror. It works slightly better in the book than it does in the film because I don't like the fact that you can see that that man was dead on top of the lift. Yeah. You could tell that sooner. Um, but it just it just works so well. And I feel like he also learned a little bit from Buffalo Bill with his choice of skinning and wearing the person. I feel like he's taken from his... Or if Buffalo Bill was his client... Did he plant that seed mm-hmm. in Buffalo Bill's head? Because that's what they explored in Hannibal the series, isn't it? Yeah. He plants the seeds that so makes them all lunatics that go around killing people. But what I got from it was that he knows who he is all along anyway. Because he's just. He never really gives Clarice any real information. She knows all, all, she need, all she needs to solve the case, he knows anyway. Lecter, all, he's, all the interactions is just to get himself free. He doesn't yeah. really help her in any way. He just stares at her for one. Yeah, he's he, like, just, he just pokes her a little bit. I think it's more of a he's sizing her up. Mm. He's seeing if she can put the pieces together for herself. Yeah. He doesn't want to help her too much because he wants her to do it because he's fascinated by her. Well, that's it. He's like a chess. He's like plays chess, doesn't he? I think yeah. that's basically what he does with Actually, Like, as much as I think he is absolutely amazing, I think she's the better character for me. I prefer watching her. Yeah. I, I found her much more interesting. I think because she's got more of an arc. Mm. Yeah. I think she's just a much more interesting character and she's a lot better than Julianne Moore. Yeah, mm. I like Julianne Moore, but I think she's not really well suited to the role. Julianne Moore's mm. a very good actress, but mm. she's just nowhere there as good. But she didn't, have, she didn't have the same script to work with either. That's true. And the same director. I love Ridley Scott. But, um, the, so then you've got Blink and you miss him, Chris Isaac, who's part of the, the SWAT team. 
We will Google image this and show you, Steve. Yes, you please. Know about. So there's a scene where the scene where Clarice. It's sort of where she puts two and two together, isn't it? About the the dressmaking and the sewing yeah. and all this. But I love this scene because I, I just think it's really moving and it's right it's slap bang in the middle of all this gothic horror, and it sort of actually sticks out like a sore thumb because you've got killing, killing, dark, dark, and then suddenly she's in the girl's bedroom, mm. and she you've got the you've got the dad downstairs who's like a sort of shadow of form shadow is for himself going about his daily business and it's like the reality of grief and mm-hmm. people who've, who've suffered a terrible trauma um, and then it's sort of it's tapping into the intimacy of uh, it's, it's the intimacy of her finding those little Polaroids and there's nothing there's nothing sort of um, lurid about it or anything mm-hmm. it's all really emotional and you're seeing a real person who was this who was this sort of um, lovely vulnerable chubby girl like mm-hmm. you know she's a great big fat person as I am um, Buffalo Bill would say and the pictures you just see vulnerability in them mm. and you see like she's sort of uncomfortable with herself because she's, mm. she's bigger and all this sort of stuff and it's moments of real real intimacy that Clarice sees and it just hu- totally humanises basically mm-hmm. after you've got adult and gothic horror and that's a real human although she does leave them out when she walks away <laughs> is really? someone's dad going to walk in and find them like oh he took the photo oh <laughs> 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 maybe, maybe he did. <laughs> um, and yeah. then I think that's when we get to the goodbye horses. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, because she's realised then, hasn't she, about yeah. the dressmaking? Because yeah. she discovers the half made dress with the, yeah, the, the diamond yeah. bits coming out, and that harks back to the autopsy where there's yeah. the diamond skin yeah. removed from the body, and it's not obvious at that point what's why that would be because yeah, it yeah. starts the dress mm. yeah. Expand the side of it. yeah they work out from the autopsy don't they? they say the body that was found third was killed first mm. that's what he says um, you know a killer usually starts with the local don't they, they kill who they know and they so they work out that the first victim was probably close to where he lives yeah yeah so that's how we're um, it's way down. Yeah, way it? down. Yeah, way down. So he knows to, to he knows to throw the pattern off by weighing it down to who's gonna be found first. Because if she's found first, it'll be obvious. It'll lead to him. Mm-hmm. Can I just say this is the first time I ever noticed the Buffalo Bill has swastika bedspreads? Yeah, yeah, I noticed this. Oh, orange swastikas, yeah. yeah. But I never noticed until this one. Yeah. Very strange. Mm-hmm. That's never explained, is it? No. We don't see that he's like a big racist or a Nazi or anything. No, it probably looks, it's probably not that kind of swastika, is it? It's more of a, an Eastern thing to have different colours. Yeah, because if it was black on red, but because it's orange, it's probably more of like a Buddhist yeah. kind of mysticism. Maybe. Yeah, thing. Yeah. It's one of the worst used symbols in the world before yeah. it was yeah. used by them. Because when we went, actually, a, a bit of a side story, when we went to, when I was getting married in San Francisco, the Palace of Fine Arts, where we were, the swastikas on that. But the woman was like, I was saying, but this was the World's Fair. It was like 1912. So before, like 1930, mm. it was meant, it, it didn't yeah. mean the same thing. Yeah, so that's got was on it, but it was built before. Yeah. It's meant to represent the eternal yeah. wheel. wheel. The eternal, yeah. yeah. So it's probably not, he's not a Nazi. It's probably more, he's just trying to gather some general Eastern mysticism together, spirituality and stuff. That's what I took anyway. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. So she finds Buffalo Bill. Spoiler. In one of the greatest misdirection scenes. Yeah. It is good. Yeah. They sort of play it, don't they? So you think that you're following Jack Crawford and thinking that he's found Buffalo Bill, but then they they're led to an empty house just at the same time as Clarice is ringing the doorbell, isn't she? Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's when the dog's being kidnapped. Precious, yeah. Precious. Precious. Just slide. Precious, you up there, you little shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Have you know, no one did that, um, would you fuck me? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone's doing an impression. So, has anyone else ever done this dance in, the, in front of the mirror, giving themselves a fanny? Because no. I, know, I know people, I know someone who does it all the time just to freak me out. Somebody. He's just the face, he was like that. Somebody <laughs> I work with. That scares the fuck out of me. Somebody I work with, not mentioning any names, did that to his friend's mum. <gasps> <laughs> someone I used to date used to do it all the time to yeah. his with his family and his yeah. mum would encourage him to do it. I think she thought it was hilarious. <laughs> we used to come downstairs. No, this was this wasn't when he was a kid, this was when he was like eighteen. He were in his mate he was in his mates and he were having a drink and then his, he knew his mum was coming in, so he did that and stood in the Straight show. boys do it a lot for a laugh. I, I you notice on like Facebook you know, if you'd ever like you know, if you'd ever given mm. like a straight boy a thirst follow on Facebook and you're looking at the Benadorm pictures and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you, do shit like this. <laughs> you see that all they all like to do that. Do you like to do a jump? No, no, I can't I'll be honest, I don't. It's it. Just this so you know, you know. he's doing it right. It's such a great such a great scene thing with the music as well. Yeah, it's just an amazing. It's, it's, really it's cool. unsettling, it's very unsettling. And it's got a great body though. It's creepy. It's weird. It's it's just enticing, isn't it? Not in a. <laughs> right, so we're, we're getting under the skin of Stephen here. <laughs> Literally, I'm, I'm not opposed. <laughs> so you're gonna do the impression again? What the heck am I doing? Would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. I'd fuck me real hard. Yeah, yeah. sorry. I'd fuck me real hard. <laughs> See, it's funny because that actor Ted Levine is in. If anyone's seen Monk, the TV show, yeah, mm-hmm. which is why, I yeah, know. he's the he's the chief in that, and he's, it's so funny because obviously knowing it's him, and then when you see him in this, it's, it's so funny. I never ever put that together yeah. for yeah. years until I saw an interview with him, yeah, about this film, and I looked at him and went, "That guy from Monk, yeah, how the fuck? It's two different people. It's brilliant. He's the dad in the Hills Have Eyes remake as well, isn't he? Yeah. Ted Levine, yeah." Actor, very very mm-hmm. recognizable voice. Mm. So you're this last scene, then you're really scared of it, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Freaks out. So she's in the dark, and he's got the night vision yeah. goggles on, and he's following around, and she can't. You you see from his point of view, don't you, with the night goggles on? She and she they're in the cellar, so there's no light at all. And she's got her her hands out trying to feel her way around. She's completely disorientated, but. He's not. Yeah. He's in completely familiar space and he's got night vision goggles on and he's taunting her without her knowing. So he's reaching his hand out and just having his hand right by her face or by her hair. It's just horrible. Like strokes of hair. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like moths flying around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, ungrateful Catherine's calling her a fucking bitch in the well. Yeah. Yeah. I'd I'd be like, you're fucking staying in that hole. Yeah. I'd just skin and blame Buffalo Bill. Yeah. She doesn't feel badass to me at that point. When she's, when she's, when she's getting the dog down and she's, Teasing him, I like that. Mm-hmm. I know what you mean. was less part of the dog. <laughs> it was the bit that I didn't like because I was like, "You fucking dare." Yeah, 
I quite like well, I think that's why wouldn't you? Because it's the only way to get back at him. But yeah. when she's when she's abused and clearly you think you just no, no. If if I was down a fucking well and there was like a serial killer just friends skim me and everything, mm. and then she left the room and left me down the well, I think I'd probably be a little bit pissed off as well. Mm. But do you know what? You wouldn't. Do you know why? You've seen Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. You know that she's going to save us. Yeah. So you'd be alright, man. I like the fact um, everyone thinks that that scene was shot in the dark using like vision cameras, but it's a completely fully lit set. Oh, is it? It's completely all with full light, and that's why if you actually watch it, the point where he um, goes up behind her for a second, you can see a shadow. Mm. Of he casts a big shadow across her back because uh, there's actually full light on everywhere. Oh, so that's she was. Bit, I didn't know that. She's just acting like she can't see. Uh. You know, Michelle Pfeiffer was, was um, in the line to play Clarice. Mm-hmm. Mm. That was been interesting. Mm. But she really wanted the role because she tried to buy the script first. But oh, it was a Jodie, book, yeah, yeah. And then she heavily pursued it. Yeah. She deserves it. She's great. No, she is. She's mm. fabulous. She is fabulous. The name, the body in the bath, I've always kind of never got until... Isn't it... Uh, well, for me, I don't know when... when I looked it, it up afterwards to make sure. I thought it was a Dharma reference. Is it an acid bath? No, it's just left to soak in the bath. So it's that's, what to Dar- be... that's what Dharma did. He left people in the bath, didn't he? This was... Um, I don't know if it's a Dharma reference, but it's the woman whose house is, who's the um, dressmaker. And I think because... Oh, my right, It's right. kind of sad because he seems to have killed her and then because he wasn't using her for a dress, he's just left her yeah. there in the bath yeah. for like... What a year or something? Can you imagine yeah. the smell? So well, yeah. It's like hair death was to him was incidental, and he doesn't care, and he yeah. just left her because she wasn't important. That's really kind of sad. Mm, yeah, he wasn't given the treatment and well, made into a lovely little dress. It's a bit like when you order shoes off the internet and you haven't tried them on, and they come and they're too small, and you just leave them on the side. Mm. Yeah, isn't it? Right. Not going to send them back. Pair of old shoes. Leave them in the bath. Yeah, he didn't keep the receipts. No. Yeah, that's what Dharma did with some of his victims. He didn't know how to get rid of the bodies, yeah. and his fridge was full, so he just put them in the bath. Oh. Did it's he... hot though. Yeah, Dharma was hot. I don't know if would. I think Dharma was early 90s, so maybe it was the story was just breaking on me. It might have been before. It might be, might be unconnected. Yeah, I think it was the 80s, late 80s. Late 80s. It was 90s. I'm sure it might have been after this. But it was after. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey Dharma. Ted Bundy, Ted Bundy was 80s, wasn't he? Yeah. Because... Uh, the interaction between um, Clarice and Hannah Blackter is based on Ted Bundy. Yeah. And the FBI profiler, Robert Kepler, who I know quite well because I've been reading lots of books about <laughs> him, actually. Um, and it's based on him and his relationship with Ted Bundy when he was trying to find the Green River Killer. Mm. Um and how he used them to basically find Gary Ridgway. Yeah. To kill a lot of people. I also feel like the way Gary Ridgway put people in water mm. and people were found in the wrong water, so I feel like that was also a reference. Mm. Right, yeah. So, so it's all sort of been thrown into a blender, hasn't it? And yeah. I mean, he did spend a lot of time when he wrote the book in Quantico, didn't he? Yeah. Well, that's... Thomas Harris did. Yeah. That's what's interesting. I think after just watching Mindhunter and they felt it's kind of the same thing. That's what they're doing. They're going around trying to find serial killers to develop this profiling system. And so all they, they seem to do is fucking talk. But it was interesting watching that and then watching Silence of Lambs and it's like, oh, these, yeah. the same, these are the same people. Yeah, same trajectory, isn't it? Cool. So, um, Clarice saves the day. 
Yeah. Graduates with honours. I really like the look of that cake. <laughs> the FBI cake. Yeah, yeah. looks yeah. amazing. Looks amazing. Um, and she then gets a phone call just after the ceremony, and it's from Dr. Lecter. Yeah. And he seems to be in, like, the Caribbean or Central, somewhere. Central America somewhere. Oh, is it? Okay. Um, I think it, I'm sure, I don't know why, but I'm sure it's like Guatemala or something like that, some Central America. Maybe it's Plum Island. Plum Island. <laughs> and um, he, he mutters the immortal line as he's on the phone, Dr. Chilton, the scumbag who kept him chained in prison in the institution is getting off the plane and as Hannibal watches he muscles the immortal line I'm having an old friend for dinner which is just class classic camp horror moment um, and off he goes into the sunset and yep. we always wonder what's going to happen and we always wonder how many times she's going to say tac tac on the phone if, you, if, you, if you've got a taste for Hannibal and you want more watch the series because I'm a real advocate of the series I yeah. love it it's, it's like it's like all of the Hannibal Lecter mythology has been thrown into like a remix machine and it comes out in all various different timelines and it's all just totally jumbled up. It's very um, confusing. It's quite and the style of it's quite confusing. You have to stick with it, but it's so worth it. Basically, because Gillian Anderson is in it as a character called Bedelia de Maurier, and that's the most camp thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she eats her own leg, but. Um, yeah, so give that a look as well. I really highly recommend it. Uh, and also this really homoerotic relationship between Will Graham and Hannibal that really builds and builds and builds to the end. And the final scene is possibly one of the most romantic things I've ever seen. I've actually finished that final season, oh, so I need to watch it. The last scene is stunning. Okay. Let me finish it. It brought out every romantic bone in my body. <laughs> and it was sick. Um, so there you have it Silence of the Lambs is it transphobic is it a horror is it a thriller I think um, you should just watch it and decide for yourself and mm. then let us know what you think we are located in the basement <laughs> of the local asylum and we're all waiting to give you a facial so my name is Johnny Larkin on Twitter at Johnny Larkin Jonathan oh, is uh, Cthulhu502 Stephen Moore is HD99 and you can get Martin in a cage in the museum. There's <laughs> nothing new there. You've got all the other relics. Um, thank you so much for listening. We really love you, and we're really not transphobes, honest. We just um, we just like to look at things from various different points of view, and we would love to hear your opinion on everything we've said tonight. So please do get in touch. You can also email us if you're old-fashioned. Screamingqueens with a Z at gmail.com, and also check out our blog screamingqueens.com which um, covers everything from um, serial killers to soundtracks to musicals um, to um, the best looking naked men of horror. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Everything you'll ever need. (laughs) So thanks for listening. We hope the lambs stop screaming soon.